0: My wife tipped me off. I think that John and Megan Bernard might be here with baby Kate. Is, is she down? Megan's at home. home. Oh, right. So it's Kate didn't make it. Well, congratulations. We're delighted at the arrival of Kate. Um, we rejoice with you. I hope you have a Bible, access to a Bible, and could turn to Mark chapter 7, please. Mark 7, verse 24, as we continue in our series in Mark's Gospel. Verse 24 of Mark 7. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's up the northwest, up the coast, out of Israel into Gentile territory. And Jesus entered a house and didn't want anyone to know, yet he couldn't be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, that's a non-Jew, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, which is Greek for ten cities. Uh, It's a region to the east of the Sea of Galilee, a Gentile region. And they brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into the man's ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, this is for those of us who don't speak Aramaic, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In those days, and I think that's implying that Jesus is still in the region of the Decapolis, this Gentile region, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people. And Jesus sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Well, let's pray for God's help. Father, please open our eyes. Open our ears to see and to hear wonderful things about Jesus, for his name's sake. Amen. I remember being outside church one Sunday morning at the end, speaking to a woman. This is the church in Dublin where we used to be. And I said to the woman after we discussed something, I said, I think, I I think you're being a bit of an Eeyore. Now, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you are, well, let's put it this way. I was assuming that she'd read Winnie the Pooh. And all I was saying when I said, I think you're being a bit of an Eeyore, is that I think you're being rather gloomy. She had never heard of Winnie the Pooh, let alone Eeyore. She demanded to know who Eeyore was. (laughs) Rather reluctantly, I explained that Eeyore is a donkey. (laughs) So you're calling me a donkey? Let's just say it was not one of the best after-church conversations I've ever had as a pastor. (laughs) Jesus inescapably implies to this poor woman with the demon-possessed daughter that that she's a dog. What? What? how do we dig Jesus out of this hole? Is he being rude to the woman? I thought Jesus was supposed to be perfect. Well, please note a few key facts that Mark records. Verse 24 of chapter 7 makes it very clear that we have gone into Gentile, or Jesus has gone into Gentile territory, the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus has gone away. That's where he's gone. And Mark Verse 26, Mark makes absolutely clear we know the woman was a Gentile. She's not a Jew, she's a Gentile. Syrophoenician, as it happens, a Syrian, um, some combination. And somehow this Gentile woman knows that Jesus has power to cast out demons. Her daughter is demon-possessed. And she knows that he's arrived in a house in the vicinity. And she comes, verse 25, and she falls down at his feet and begs Jesus to cast out the demon. In verse 27, Jesus said to her, "'Let the children be fed first, "'for it is not right to take the children's bread "'and throw it to the dogs.'" Now, in our cultural context, if someone like me, not claiming to be Jesus, but if I said at the door of the church something like this, describing the woman I'm speaking to effectively as a dog, Well, you'd expect that I would get a certain treatment, wouldn't you? Um, We might expect Jesus, if this was a culture like ours, to actually get a slap around the face from the woman. Are you calling me a dog? But look at her first words as she responds. She answered him, verse 28, Yes, Lord. And then instead of disputing the word dogs and saying, how dare you imply that I'm a dog or my people are dogs? She actually develops the picture. She takes the idea of the dogs and she says, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, Lord. After all, had not Jesus said in the verse before, verse 27, let the children be fed first. This is a matter of priorities. Jesus is not saying there's not enough food for the dogs as well. He's just saying the children ought to get it first. Now it's, it's true that in Jesus' day, Jews often described Gentiles as dogs in the sense that they were unclean. Dogs, generally speaking, some of them were pets, and this is a word that probably refers to the house dog, the pet. It's a diminutive of, of the Greek word for, uh, for dog. Um, but a lot of dogs were, were street dogs. And if you've ever been to other parts of the world, we thankfully don't have them much here, but in other parts of the world, street dogs are Well, almost like vermin, aren't they? I mean, they're they're not good. Um, Jesus is not using this word contemptuously. It was a common description. He's using the word to underline priorities. Children should get the bread before the dogs in the family. So what is going on here? Well, Mark is writing largely to Gentiles. One of the early church fathers, a guy called Clement of Alexandria, that's northern Egypt, uh, wrote around 200 AD that Mark recorded the Apostle Peter's account of Jesus. So Mark is, in a sense, writing down Peter's perspective on Jesus. And of course, this is the Apostle Peter who had that vision. We read just the end of the story or the middle of the story earlier. He had those, that vision of the unclean animals which Jews were not allowed to eat being let down on a sheet And three times he saw this vision of the unclean animals being let down. And three times he was told, Peter, eat them. And three times he said, no, Lord, I've never done that. I'm not going to do it now. And the point... Peter came to understand was that he should no longer refuse to eat with Gentiles because they were unclean. He says just before our reading in, in Acts 20, 10, 28, he said, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And he's talking to Gentiles at that point. Jesus here in Mark seven nineteen, just a few verses earlier, had said, it's words in brackets in our English translation, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. All food is kosher. You can eat anything. You don't have to segregate yourself from eating with people who eat the wrong kind of food. No, all these barriers have been broken down, says Jesus. But Jesus did come first to the Jews and then the message spread. So his ministry was entirely within Israel. And it was basically speaking to the Jews, but of course he then sends out, as we read right at the beginning, at the end of his ministry as he returns to heaven and claims all authority in heaven and earth, he sends his people to the ends of the earth so that all nations, not just Jews, should become followers. That's why I've put as the title of our message today, hashtag you too, can be included. And what... This section of Mark is doing from 724 to 810 that we're looking at today, Mark is making clear in three episodes that Gentiles, non-Jews, may be included in God's people, which is good news for us, because I think the vast majority, if not all of us here, are not Jews, we're Gentiles. So to hear this is good news. But it's also something that we need to be careful about in terms of how we look at other people that we're not looking at other people despising them or excluding them in some way in our thinking because they're not like us. I remember speaking to a woman back in Dublin, a church member, and she said to me at one point about someone who came, as you're aware, in Ireland there are two white tribes. There are two tribes on the island of Ireland. Um, And most people know which tribe they belong to and which tribe you belong to if you're not their tribe. And this woman said to me, I was visiting her one day, and she referred to this woman from the other tribe. And she said to me, and I'll never forget this, because this is one of the most offensive things I've ever had said to me in church life. She said, we don't want that kind of person in our church, do we, pastor? I was shocked, I didn't quite know, I think I mumbled about something about, yes we do, but I I can't remember, I was just so, it was like someone had thrown a bucket of cold water in my face, and that is an attitude that we must not have, excluding people. And here in Mark's Gospel, Mark is writing to Gentiles and he's saying, no, you too can be included, you're not excluded. And these three episodes teach us a triple lesson about grace. We'll run through this quickly. First lesson about grace. We have no entitlement to grace. The first story. We find it so hard to understand the woman's acceptance of Jesus' language about dogs in our culture. Because I think partly, if not wholly, because we are surrounded by a culture of entitlement. We are brought up in a culture which is very hot on its rights. And the other side of the coin, the duties that others owe us, because we have rights to an excellent education, to first-class medical care, to get richer, not poorer, as we go through life, to go away on holidays. We have a right to these things. Society owes me a duty to provide certain things. Well, the gospel of grace assumes no entitlement. We're not entitled to God's grace, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. And this Gentile woman knew that she was not entitled. She didn't argue the point. She simply begged for mercy. And Jesus' response, that wonderful response in verse 29 is, for this statement, you may go away and the demon has left your daughter. It's a statement of faith. She's trusting in Jesus. She's thrown herself at his mercy. Let me ask you, do you think God somehow owes you something? God owes us nothing. We've no right to his mercy. We've no right to his salvation from judgment. And yet, grace is possible for you too, whoever you are. You just need to start by humbly recognizing that you've no entitlement. That's where we begin. And sadly, many people stumble at this point because they're too proud to admit that they have no entitlement. Second lesson of grace is this. In the second story that we read earlier, the healing of the deaf and dumb man. And that's that we need a miracle of grace. We need a miracle of grace. Interestingly, Mark alone records this incident of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's flagging clearly at the beginning that we're still in Gentile territory in the region of Decapolis, the ten cities, which Jesus reaches by apparently a circuitous route that stays out of Herod's territory because he was in danger there from Herod, who had executed the forerunner, John the Baptist, you may remember. And the word that is used by Mark in verse 32, speech impediment, is one word in the Greek, and it only comes one other time in the Bible. In the Greek translation, which had been translated a couple of hundred years before Jesus, of Isaiah 35, verse six. So if you do want to, I'm just gonna turn to it, welcome to turn to it. Isaiah 35. The ancient prophet Isaiah, who was preaching about 700 years before Christ, tells of a time when God's judgment will be over and God's restoration will begin. And the way he describes that restoration is Isaiah 35, verse 5. He says, about how your God will come and save you, verse 4. Then, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Your God will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute, and that's the word, the same word that's translated or that Mark uses in Mark 732, and it's translated speech impediment in our translation. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Now these are miraculous events being prophesied in Isaiah 35 about the blind seeing and having their eyes open. The lame, the paralyzed, leaping like a deer. The tongue of the deaf singing, or the mute singing rather, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Events fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the one who came. God came and brought salvation in and showed his power to save. So back in Mark 7, Jesus communicates with this deaf man. There's no point speaking to him. He can't hear him. So he, he does that lovely thing of actually putting his fingers in the man's ears. I'm gonna gonna deal with your hearing. Um, A finger on the tongue. I'm gonna give you back your speech. And then what actually does it is verse 38, sorry, 34. Looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed and said to him, Ephatha, be opened. What happens? His tongue was released, his ears were opened, and he spoke plainly. Now, have you heard the message of God's grace? Can you, can you hear it? Or are you deaf to it? If you can hear it, it's not because you're clever or diligent or that in some way you deserve it, you've been good, good enough. It is because God has done a miracle. We are, by nature, deaf. And if you can't yet hear God's grace, then ask him to do the miracle, to open your ears to hear the music of his grace and to open your mouth to sing the tune of his praise. But it needs a miracle. But God will do it if you ask him. we've no right to god's grace it takes a miracle to receive it and third thing we learn about grace is that grace will satisfy us too grace will satisfy us too chapter 8 verses 1 to 10. now as we read it earlier were you thinking hang on a minute deja vu or is it deja entendu? i can't remember i've heard this before glance back to chapter 6 verse 30. Jesus feeds the 5,000. And if you go through, we haven't got time to do it now, but if you go through the two versions, you'll see there's repeated phrases. It's, it's all, and that's why some people think, oh, m- maybe Mark got confused and it was, it was only one event and he's recorded it twice. No, it's, it's clearly a different event. The numbers are different. But it's in a different place. This is in Gentile territory the, to the east of the Sea of Galilee. But the miraculous provision is the same. Seven loaves. I mean, okay, there were five loaves that fed 5,000, seven loaves feeding 4,000. It doesn't make it easier, really, does it? It's still an enormous number of people to feed, and there's no way that seven loaves can feed them. This is a miracle. There's no getting around it. And just a few fish, we're not told how many, just a few small fish. Like sardines, I guess. But we do get the same result, verse 8. They ate <coughs> and were satisfied. <coughs> One of the interesting things is that in, in Mark's previous chapter, Mark 7, verse 27, um, what the woman says to Jesus is, let the children be satisfied. Sorry, this is Jesus talking. Let the children be satisfied first. It's exactly the same word. It's translated fed in our English translation. But it's exactly the same word about satisfaction. Jesus came to provide satisfaction. Not some kind of material satisfaction. About our standard of living. But satisfaction of our souls that deep down... We will no longer be thirsty, we'll no longer be hungry, but Jesus will satisfy us. We've no right to God's grace. It takes a miracle to receive it, but when we receive it, we discover the riches of God's grace lavished upon us. The Apostle Paul wrote like this later to the church in Ephesus. He said, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, his death. The forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. The riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. Well, have you experienced that soul-satisfying grace? Well, if you have, let me encourage you even today to drink deeply again of the wonder of God's grace, 737, they were astonished beyond measure. Well, it should astonish us beyond measure that God has been gracious to us. Maybe you feel, well, I'm, I'm not sure I'm ever going to get this grace. I'm not the kind of person that I think God wants to show grace to. Don't you believe a word of it? Jesus wants you, too, to experience this soul satisfying grace. It's for you, too. Hashtag you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the way that you make the outsider an insider that you welcome into your family people from every tribe and tongue and nation, every color, every cultural background. Thank you for the miracle of grace that we who are Christians have experienced. Help us always to remember that we have no entitlement to your grace. It is just that, it is grace. It is a free gift, undeserved And Father, help us to experience every day something of that soul-satisfying satisfaction as we trust in you and as you provide all of our needs. In Jesus' name, amen.